All right, we are here with the Gut Check Project. This is episode number seven. I'm Eric Rieger here with your host, Dr. Ken Brown. Dr. Brown, what's going on today? Good morning, good morning. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing this morning? Well, let me tell you what. I am on day number four of the fasting mimicking diet. How about you? I am also on day four of the fasting mimicking diet made by Prolon. Made by Prolon. So I want to do a shout out to... Dr. Joseph Antun, the CEO of Prolon, and Dr. Walter Longo, who wrote the Longevity Diet. They sent us some Prolon kits, and we're giving it a shot, the Fasting Mimicking Diet. They are. Uh, it is the uh, Fasting Mimicking Diet, so I am comparing it to a previous experience of doing a water fast. It's very interesting. Uh, and this is far more tolerable, quite honestly. And just this morning, I did check ketone levels. Uh, I was at... 2.1. Uh, day day three, you're supposed to start doing it. So by as this day goes on, you'll probably start kicking it up a whole lot more. Yeah. So I found that uh, to be beneficial. It's certainly falling in line with what you want. I did, comparing this to a water fast at this point, I was, I was going to be, you know, for uh, being in three and a half days, I felt like I was really ready to start eating. And then by day four, that was enough for me. I did, uh, I did four full days of the water fast, but with Prolon, I feel, I actually feel really, really good. It, uh, it's not too bad. And it's nice the way they kind of portion out every day's meals, what we're going to be eating. So my wife's doing it with us also. The only hard part was that earlier this, uh, earlier this week, I had to cook dinner for the boys cause they still got to eat. And, uh, man, we had some nice juicy steaks just sitting there and you can't have any of it. Yeah. I couldn't do anything with it. It was not in the box. How about yourself? How was yours? Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing well. This is my fourth five day fast. I guess a, a little over a year. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to do them every few months. Right. First one I did Prolon, which was not a big deal at all. Second one, I did kind of my own little fasting mimicking, mimicking style. And I didn't have that, what I'm going to call that burst of energy. Right. Or possibly it was stimulation of stem cells. And let's get into that in, in a few minutes here. And then I did a water fast only and my ketones went through the roof, but I was quite miserable. So we're back to the Prolon, giving this a shot. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I mentioned the stem cells. Today's guest, wow, this is going to be, if you know anybody that has autoimmune disease, if you know anybody that has back pain, anybody that has joint pain, tune in because we have a stem cell expert, Dr. Wade McKenna, orthopedic surgeon. This guy is a badass in this field. And we were sitting there talking just outside. I'm like, holy cow, I'm just going to sit here and take notes. It's like we brought in a professor of stem cells. He, he's uh, he's pretty amazing. You know, he he actually played football at Oklahoma State. Went to med school. I performed anesthesia with him several years ago. Whenever he was uh, still heavily, just as he is today, doing orthopedics. He's a fantastic surgeon. All of this has led to somebody who's actually kind of reminds me of you. He never wants to stop learning, and so it's it's led to where he is uh, where he is today. And he is, I would say, quite the expert with stem cells and where the future is going with them. So this is so exciting that we actually timed our fast for this episode because, you know, people throw around the word stem cell a whole lot and much like the CBD industry, people throw it around. There's lots of misinformation. There's lots of quality differences. The people that are actually giving stem cells, there's lots of differences with that. So we're going to clarify all of it. I really feel like there's some parallels. You and I have brought in several CBD experts right? and there's some parallels here. And so, you know, this is a super exciting for that. Um, anything going on with the family? Anything going on socially? Well, this last week, uh, whenever Marie and I moved into uh, preparing to do the fast, I would say that the boys have uh, 
have enjoyed teasing us. And other than that, they've they've hopped back into off-season basketball, quite busy, and just kind of uh, every day as usual at the round, around our household. How about nice. yourself? Uh, typical tennis weekend. Both uh, Lucas and Carlo were playing tennis, and they both did really well. It was kind of a, a little curveball, though. I'm, I'm really proud of my team because as we're going to be launching the D-Hat Health Box, mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Lisa Alvarez actually did a little commercial for us. She did. And so, yeah. And so I got a chance to pop into the set, see it, and then move on. This can be exciting to see what that happens. I appreciate her taking her time to do that. So um, another kind of cool thing, I just got off the phone with Dr. Chang Ron oh, out, out of Houston. Houston. Yeah, mm-hmm. Great guy. Fantastic functional medicine doctor. He actually has ties with Prolon. Him and, him and Joseph are friends. Oh, okay. He's going to be having a huge conference coming up on April 27th where he's going to talk about brain-gut issues. We're going to have him on the show because he's got some incredible stuff on brainwaves and its effect pre- and post-trauma and its effect pre- and post-diet change and using hemp-derived products. So, super cool. And I just got a phone with him. So, if you get a chance, go to his Facebook page. He's got a lot of really cool information. So... Awesome. I think that uh, we're kind of moving in all these unique directions. Right. But w- what's the big deal with stem cells? Why do we even want to talk about it? I think that uh, it's it's the new it's the new frontier. It's no different than the way that we've been spending time talking about CBD. Why why just a few years ago the revelation that you had into polyphenols and how what it could do. These are it's a lot of what nature's giving us to work with, and it's kind of amazing that it's. It's all coming to fruition nowadays. Mm-hmm. And you hit on it a little bit earlier, and I know that, uh, that Dr. McKenna is going to address it as well. The FDA, at many times when we want this government entity to be on our side and helping us out, can really be stymieing a lot of the, the progress that many of the citizens could be enjoying, that they could be taking part in to have a better quality of life. And in a really odd, yet when you get down to money, reason, you find out that the FDA is is hard to budge out of the way in, in terms of progress. Well, it's so interesting because what he was talking about is exactly what I've been doing. So in, in all fields of medicine, it's very hard to change the direction of this large Titanic-like ship where people are doing things. And we have either many ways, as he, as he described it, to skin a cat or really none of them are really working very well. Sure. And then when you do find something, it's hard to get people to pay attention to you. Much like Atron Teal. Right. I mean, when we sit there, when we came out with Atrantil, we know that uh, Mojo and 5.0 guys are talking. They're really trying to tell everybody about the bloating effects with it. But we know that Atrantil is made up of polyphenols. And we know that those polyphenols are really good for you. They actually are the anti-aging and anti-inflammatory molecules in the Mediterranean diet. So we need to expand that message a little bit more and tell people, hey, you can take these polyphenols, which are in Atrantil, and they can actually do some of the things... Dun, 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 that stem cells do. And we're going to talk about this in some science. But if you're curious about that, if you're looking at Atrantil, is there any place they should go, Eric? They should go to lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie. That's lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie. And then use the code Spoonie and save a little cash while you pick up your own polyphenols to be delivered right to your home. And then keep listening to this because you're going to realize that these there's lots of overlap. Chang Ron's going to be doing a brain gut thing where he shows that you need to protect your gut. Atrantil helps with that. We got Wade McKenna here talking about stem cells. The body wants to rejuvenate itself. You need to give it the things that it can. This is going to be so exciting. We're going to really geek out today. I, I mean, or at least I want to. Definitely. And I want everybody to hang in there because what you're going to learn is literally some of the most cutting edge stuff. 
You remember, do you remember when stem cells first started making the circuit in the news? And it's really odd the way that people began to report new science and health. Sometimes it can be, this is the greatest thing ever, or it can be a lot of scare tactics. And I remember the first time I heard about stem cells, it was unfortunately being taken from unborn babies, et cetera. But that's, that's oh. not what's happening at all. No. And then you begin to get past that layer. Well, guess what? It's just like anything else. You get past the first layer, and then you find out there's a whole new world to discover. And in terms of what Dr. McKenna is going to talk about, we have lawmakers here in the U.S. that prohibit certain uh, certain lines of stem cells being used, but they are still incredibly beneficial. And some of the culturing or the growth of those stem cells into uh, what the U.S. would would determine to be tissues, they couldn't do it here, but they could do it in Panama. And oddly enough, who found his work in Panama was a couple of lawmakers. Really kind of uh, really kind of weird and ironic that the same people that are a part of that institution that doesn't allow us to do certain things will go out of the country to get that kind of help. I think it's such a small world and it's fate and whatever it is. I mean, I think a lot of things that have happened in both our lives have been opportunities that we have taken advantage of. And I remember you and I were working one day and I was like, dude, did you see that Joe Rogan where he had Mel Gibson on and some other guy, some PhD, and you went, uh, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah. And I was like laughing because Mel Gibson said the same thing. A lot of people think he's like, ah, you think about stem cells, you're going to have a mouth growing out the side of your face. And no, it's not at all. As it turns out, he took his dad down to Panama and his 92 year old dad and he got better. And that's when I was like, whoa. And you started saying, I mean, this is a long time ago, over a year and a half ago, man, you got to meet my buddy Wade because he's doing a lot of the same thing, same parallel paths in the sense that he's really scientific and is just trying to get people better. That's it. Now you're you're right on, and just think about that. So that being at least eighteen months ago, I believe that Mel's dad was started going down there maybe five years ago. Think of the advances and the tech and the technologies that have come along with stem cell research since then. That's exactly why Wade or Dr. Wade McKenna is here to tell us a little bit more about where it's going, how they're going to measure what is authentic stem cell injection, what is the the right protocol, what should you be looking for, who are the imposters. There's a, there's a lot of information out there. It's no different than learning about CBD and where to go get the right kind of CBD if it's harvested the right way, produced the right way. I just think it's interesting because I went to um, a doctor friend of mine, Dr. Marlon Padilla, and we were in his office and he just started talking about, uh, oh, check this out. I'm now doing stem cell. And I was like, whoa, we're going to have a stem cell expert on this week. You got to take a listen. He's, got, he's at Hillcrest Medical in um, uh, University Park area, that, okay. that kind of thing. Super great guy, very innovative himself trying new things yeah and you know he started to do that i'm like man small world so now i'm starting to pay attention to all these other things so one of the things we like to do is get caught up on everything let's do it see where see where we're at and then i like to geek out a little bit so how do i tie this all together how do we tie our fasting together how do we get stem cells and how do we come full circle to discuss what's out there in the literature about what we're passionate about also right well that's kind of interesting because what we're doing with uh with the diet selection, Autron Teal, CBD, fasting, and learning about stem cells, you're going to find, I think, for all of our listeners, and as well as us, this is all synergistic. There's a reason why we're, we're, we're toting the mail here with this kind of message. So using um, our graduate student that always helps us out, we've got some really cool articles tying this all together. And I'm going to end with what I consider really geeky stuff, but I want you to hang in there for me. Okay. Let's do so, it. so the first question is you're on day four of the prolon fast. Why in the world are you even doing that? Well, it has been shown that in cellular metabolism in July, 2015, 
Summarize, whenever you go into a fast, it promotes stress resistance. So basically, when you're put on a fasting mimicking diet, or I should back up, we've always known that a caloric restriction diet has been shown in yeast and other animals to prolong life. Walter Longo in his book figured out a way that you can eat a little bit and trick your body into believe that it is completely fasting. That's what the fasting mimicking diet is. So this study in 2015 looked at putting mice on the fasting mimicking diet, and they demonstrated that these mice decreased the size of multiple organs, improved glucose control, decreased visceral fat, lowered blood pressure, improved bone mineral density, rejuvenated the immune system, and reduced cancer risk. Oh, wait, it's too good to be true. Are you kidding me? Just five days, three times a year, and you can accomplish this? But wait, there's more. We got more here. They also showed after they refed the mice. So listen to what this is. The coolest thing about this, and when you listen to Walter give lectures, he said it's not so much the fast. It's the recovery from the fast. Because when they refed them, they showed that in older mice, areas of the brain like the hippocampus showed neurogenesis and improved cognitive performance. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. So it's the refeeding that's super important, which makes it fun because I'm on day four and I'm really looking to some refeeding. Yeah, I can't wait for some refeeding. But I mean, that's all part of the process. And I will say going through uh, my second fast that this is becomes easier. It's it's not as hard as the first one. I know some of that's with Prolon, but it it is. The expectation is there. I know what to expect. I know we're going for so what would be contributing to better neural thinking that is a great question so the question is what's going on there so then uh, we dug up an article in the journal of stem cell research in 2016 what they showed is that fasting protects against immune system damage and induces regeneration by waking up stem cells or by catalyzing dormant stem cells hmm. so all those, what they realize is what this article is describing is what Walter was figuring out right there, or what he had figured out, that it all comes down to stem cells at the refeeding stage. Basically, now that we've thrown out stem cells several times, let's just define what it is real quick. Um, stem cells are the body's raw material. They're pre-cells for all other cells. Stem cells are the only cells that can generate new cell types, and they can divide into form what are called daughter cells, which become specialized cells that eventually become specific organs. That's all I'm going to say about it. Because Wade's going to come in here and blow our minds and tell us a whole lot more with uh, what stem cells are. So for my all intents and purposes, I'm coming in here knowing stem cells can become other cells. Right. He's going to tell us way more with that. So basically, after you fast and then you refeed, you flip a regenerative switch, which promotes stem cell regeneration in the blood-making organs. So that's the important thing. And so when you go into starvation mode, the body will save energy. And one way is to recycle immune cells, and that causes autophagy. So old and sick and dying cells are programmed, hey, go away. Right. And then the autophagy gets rid of the old sick cells. Then when you refeed, the stem cells wake up, and they go around, and there's a bunch of fallen soldiers. They don't bother them, but they go around and say, hey, we need new people to replace this over here. Simplistic, Wade's going to get into a much cooler explanation of that. And then with each cycle, you refeed, you get rid of sick and dying cells and replace them. It's like a janitor. It's exactly like a janitor. So five day fast, three times a year, you're just kind of, you're just doing some serious house cleaning. I remember Sachin Panda, when he talks about that, that's the godfather of circadian rhythm fasting or intermittent fasting. Right. He's got the mouse models. He still does a prolonged fast because he describes it as 
you brush your teeth every day and then you know a couple times a year you go in and you get the deep cleaning from the dentist and i like that analogy because you're always doing maintenance which is you're keeping an eye of, of what you're eating but every once in a while, you got to do that deep clean. Definitely. And then trying it fast for the first time, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, why would I not want to eat? But if you look at the history of time and where people were and the movement nowadays to return to health, where people are trying to get healthier and you look at things like paleo effects, for instance, they talk about new diets and ways to eat in a paleo lifestyle. Some of that also includes fasting. And the reason is the primal man also went a long time without having food, you know, for a few days at a time, they would have intermittent fasting or, or a few days fasting themselves. Yeah. And so basically you're just returning to what it is that we've all been programmed to do for a long time. The, it just so happens in the last several generations, we've had a ubiquitous amount of food here in the U S. And so now we get a little thicker, a little bigger. <laughs> Let's okay. So there's, there's no doubt about it. Feet, uh, eating is awesome, right? But eating is an inflammatory process. So, um, when you eat, you're going to become inflamed a little bit and then you incorporate the nutrients. And so the way that we're doing it now where we eat so much, it's probably not the healthiest way. So right now we're in a fast. Let's talk about what's actually going on, going on with our bodies before I talk about how we're going to tie all of this together to stem cells. Okay. So day one, this is basically the five day fast. This is what's happened to you and I. So day one, um, you're just going to prime your body. Day two, you start doing some fat burning. Day three, you start doing some cellular recycling. Basically, you're going to clean up, start realizing, uh-oh, we're on day three. Now, if we're back in caveman times, day one, day two, that's normal. Day three, your body starts going, uh-oh, we better get ready for something because we're going to have to go out and get some food soon. Yep. And that's when you start doing the cleanup, and this is when a lot of people will reach ketosis. Day four, you and I right now are in this. This is the cell regeneration. This is where autophagy started yesterday, and autophagy is when those old, sick, and dying cells are programmed to go away, much like we talk about with the polyphenols. When they get in there, and urolithin causes mitophagy, right. and the foods that we eat will do that. Then this starts, our, our stem cell-based regeneration is starting to ramp up. So when people talk about, oh, I fast, I go 24 hours. Oh, no, 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 I've done a two-day fast. We've come this far. When we're this far into it, Tomorrow's when all the real magic happens. All the magic. Day five, regeneration continues. Now we've turned on our stem cells and the body is being rejuvenated from within. Now, the first time you and I did this, did this, uh, our fast, mm -hmm. I think it was tonight, mm -hmm. but this happened to both of us. Mm -hmm. We both slept, what, two hours? Yeah, I even, so uh, every time that I fasted so far, I feel great whenever I go to bed and I feel really rested. But the last night of the of my fast, I uh, basically went to bed, and then I thought I woke up again. I was like, "Man, what a great night's sleep again!" And I looked over the clock, and I had been asleep for two hours and fifteen minutes. And then I sat around, and I was like, "What am I going to do for the rest of this morning? I'm not tired right now." And then later, I learned that was uh, orexin that was being released, telling me I always forget that orexin. Orexin. So it was released from. Uh, a, a hormone released from my brain saying it's time for you to go and eat. And I had an, an, an abundant or amount of energy. It's time for you to get up, have the energy to go kill the woolly mammoth so that you can eat. And you can feel it. I mean, you're, you're manic and it was time. And, um, I mean, you saw me right when I quit the fast. I mean, I think at the time I, my blood sugar was at 54 and, and I felt fine with that. And, uh, ketones, I think for 4.8. Yeah. And the moment that we drew, 
or I did the uh, the labs and the and the blood at that point in time. It was it was time to eat. Yeah. So both of us had very very similar experiences. This is the third day that we've done this. So now let me geek out here for the last four minutes because this is where I think it comes in really cool. And so we found an article that um, has a really long title, and I just like I like saying it just because I realize that this is the kind of stuff I'm reading, you know, for the show. Treatment of periodontal ligament stem cells with MOR and CBD promotes cell survival and neuronal differentiation via the P13K AKT mTOR pathway. Now, that would scare most people off. (laughs) Scared me off at first. But our graduate student said, this is a fantastic article and you're going to love it. So basically, what this whole article shows is you can get stem cells from a few places. Dr. McKenna will explain where. Bone marrow, fat. But one of the places is periodontal ligaments. So these are known as mesenchymal stem cells, meaning that they are the least differentiated cells and they can kind of become anything. So one of the important things is quality of stem cells. Keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that coming up, quality of stem cells. So one of the things about stem cells is that there are a lot of different qualities, but once you get the stem cell out, you have to keep the stem cell healthy. So you have to keep it alive and you have to keep it in the best environment possible. So there's different mediums to do this. This study looked at taking stem cells out in vitro, meaning in a dish, and they bathe them in CBD and Moringan, M-O-R, which is a proanthocyanidin, which is a polyphenol, which is the same stuff that Atrontil is made of. So they, they bathe them in CBD and in a polyphenol blend. Amazing. Super cool. They did it for 48 hours. And what they showed is that they demonstrated longer survival, less apoptosis or programmed cell death, decreased the mTOR pathway. The mTOR pathway is the pathway that makes cells grow. Right. So bodybuilders, lots of mTOR pathway. But guess what? Cancer mTOR pathway also. So it's a growth pathway. Increased differentiation capacity, meaning they can become more of something quicker they increase nestin and BDNF, which neurogenesis or new nerves, new brain tissue. Right. And then they did a deep dive into the genes that these stem cells turned on. That gets into the cool epigenetic stuff that we talked about before, where basically we all have these genes. So they concluded that in the field of stem cell research, it may be improved by bathing them in CBD and a polyphenol mix. So if you're not getting injected anytime soon, might not be a bad idea to start from the inside using some CBD and possibly some Atrontil. It sounds to me like the research is probably on the, uh, on the cusp here as they're going into that. That's why they're bathing them in the proanthocyanidin and the CBD. But it's weird that just uh, three weeks ago when we had Mark on, he was talking about his de-differentiated uh, chondrosarcoma. That's right. That's stem cells that basically were released, and they didn't know exactly where to go, and they began to proliferate. And he even said it could be found in an organ anywhere in your body, even when you feel like you've taken it. So it's critically important that your stem cells are differentiated, that they get to the place that they're going to be and do what you need them to do. You don't want them growing out of control. So maybe, possibly, we'll find out in the future that combining a polyphenol with a a proanthocyanidin and a CBD along with stem cell therapy would be a protocol. I think it'd be awesome. Um, to get people started here, where should they go to get? 
Oh, you can They're go polyphenol. To, you can go to kbmdhealth.com and go to the store. You can find both Autron Teal and the, the new KBMD CBD. Or you can always go to lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie. And here in about uh, four minutes, we're going to be joined by the Dr. Wade McKenna. So if you know anybody that has uh, joint issues, back issues, knee issues, and take it one step further, autoimmune disease. There's so many things that now I'm looking into the science of stem cells that it is going to be super cool. We're going to geek out. And this guy knows his stuff. I am excited. Yeah. If you, if you had any questions about stem cells, this is this is the man you need to turn to. Um, Dr. Wade McKenna is going to join us here. We're going to take a break in about 10 seconds. Anything to wrap up? No, just thank you guys for the prolong. All right. Talk to you all soon. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-296-1252. It looks like you're losing. I am. Are I'm, you losing weight? I am losing. I've lost about 10 pounds. How are you doing it? Funny name, but I've done it with Riduzone. R-A-D-U-Zone.com, and the stuff works. It's, you know, you get into all that, the molecule this and the found in that. All I can tell you is it, it's a, it makes you feel full, and it keeps your mind off of wanting to overeat. And also boosts your metabolism, yeah, so you're it burning does. more. Yeah, it Try does. it today. It's going to work for you like it's worked for Brad and countless other people. RidUZone.com, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Fast Track student loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. 800 709 Oh. Okay, we're back. It's now the second half hour episode number seven of the Gut Check Project. We are now joined. With Dr. Wade McKenna. Dr. McKenna, thanks so much for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, see what I'm doing right here? Yeah. You, you know, you know whenever, you know whenever uh, Rhonda Patrick goes on Joe Rogan, he's like, all right, everybody get your pen and paper out. You're going to be taking some notes. I'm just like, <laughs> all right. My favorite Joe Rogan comment about Rhonda Patrick, he says he never feels more like he's absolutely just a caveman than after he talks to her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a lot of knowledge. <laughs> That's awesome. She's got a lot of knowledge, but so do you. So, yes, you do. 
Um, I already went through a couple of small things in the last half hour. You played football at Oklahoma State. You've been an orthopedic surgeon for several years, but that's not really what you're here to talk about today. Uh, well, well, the cool part is um, I actually... Uh, um, Can you hear him? I, Uh-oh. Are we good? We got a little mic problem. We're going to get something fixed here real quick. All right. Keep talking. All right. There we the, go. The, that's the, cool, the cool part for me um, Thanks, uh, is... A, kind of been allowed to um, reinvent uh, myself as a traditional surgeon when um, the science kind of caught up to what we do and figure out that a lot of what we would think of as traditional medical approaches um, were less than optimal uh, from a patient standpoint. So I actually did a fellowship in trauma and post-traumatic reconstruction after an orthopedic surgery residency and after a general um, uh, surgery internship. So, um, in during a general surgery internship, when I thought I was going to uh, do transplant surgery, because that was the coolest guys at the hospital at the time. Where'd you train at? Uh, here in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, multiple hospitals, but DFW Medical Center is where I ended up doing my orthopedic residency. I did my fellowship in trauma at Tampa General uh, with Roy Sanders, a 2000 bed hospital where uh, there was two trauma fellows that kind of ran the the program. Um, we had 10 residents and uh, four helicopters and no sleep. Which we can, we'll have, we'll have a whole new episode on what lack of sleep will do to your stem cells. But, oh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it, lack of sleep and not healthiest eat, of eat. Not like lack of sleep induced by fasting where you feel like Superman. Lack of sleep induced of you know, falling asleep in the, in the lounge chair, uh, waiting for the nurse to tap you on the shoulder to say it's time to, you know, go from zero to hero. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but during the trauma fellowship, um, we became very adept uh, because we got stuck with a lot of the fractures that other people had treated that didn't heal. And so the post-traumatic part of that is acutely, we were stabilizing multiple extremity injuries but we also had to get those people over the multiple extremity injuries and we would get referred a lot of the the trauma patients the gentleman trauma is what we called it which comes to visit you in clinic doesn't come to you in the middle of the night by helicopter the gentleman trauma that walks in your clinic he's like i've got this knife stuck yeah, right here yeah. <laughs> well the, the hey i've had five surgeries on my femur fracture and i still can't walk and there's still no bone and i still have it still hasn't healed um and we had to find a way to not only promote, try to trick the body into healing something that already showed it didn't want to heal, um, but in the least invasive way possible, kind of turn the table to kind of help the patients generate new bone. The best way to do that early on was bone marrow aspirate concentrate. The very best and first uses of bone marrow aspirate concentrate in traditional surgery was in the treatment of non-unions. When someone has a fracture that doesn't heal, um, there's delayed union, which just means it takes forever, that, but there's non-union, which just means it doesn't heal. There's no bone. And if you have a leg that doesn't have a healed fracture, you can't walk. You can't put weight on it. You have an upper extremity with an unhealed fracture, you, 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 you pretty much flail. Right? You, can't, you, you have a non, non-functional extremity. Bone marrow aspirate concentrate in the treatment protocol of this allowed us to be much less invasive instead of just... It doesn't make a lot of, uh, of sense to just take out all the other plates, unstrip the blood supply to a muscle, replate a fracture, further destroying the blood supply to the fracture that already didn't have enough blood supply to heal. So let's go ahead and revisit that really quick because as a orthopedic surgeon, that's interesting to 
hear somebody because that's typically that's a knee-jerk reaction oh that last surgery didn't work let me operate again that's exactly right so say one more time what reoperating does well here's the problem with reoperating if you didn't heal the first time it's because of the formation of scar tissue not healed tissue so the healing gets stopped the fibrotic tissue begins scar tissue hurts scar tissue doesn't have much blood supply and scar tissue isn't very functional. It's fibrotic, it, it can take up some space, but for the most part, the difference between, the interface between healthy tissue and scar tissue continues to be painful forever, every time you move something. So if you have a big fibrotic knot of scar within a tendon, and you have some healthy tissue that generate, that, that connects to it, the mismatch and pliability that mismatch of, you would never use metals that have different hardness when you're putting together an engine, right? Because the soft metal and the hard metal cause fretting and corrosion and, and significant problems and, and metal mismatch. Soft tissue mismatch is just as big a problem. We create scar tissue in people that hurts, generates pain, generates an inflammatory response. So a chronic inflammatory response from cytokines that without decent blood supply to a scar tissue, your body can't get rid of. So you end up with long-term and continued muscle death. And a lot of our surgery approaches, and a lot of surgery where you would just strip off the blood supply to the bone that it needs to help it heal, don't work very well because we're not focused on how the body needs to be able to heal this fracture. We're focused on making an x-ray look pretty. And ooh, did you hear that? I did, uh, just to make it look nice. So, I mean, you're, I think it's fascinating because essentially, I've done, the same, I've done the same thing in my practice where I've kind of moved from traditional gastroenterology. You've become almost a functional orthopedist. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that, um, that I, I just come to the table with some of the extra tools that um, I need to kind of set the table for the patient to help them heal, right? The, the body has a unique ability to overcome a lot of things, and, and our body actually wants to heal a lot of times I'm just trying to help people get out of their own way. Uh, the same way the gastroenterology diet, you're trying to help people get out of their own way from being in bad health, right? Mm -hmm. with, with orthopedics, I have to help the body. The body knows the triggers and the mechanisms and has the intact growth factors to help your body heal. As we get a little older, as we have chronic injury, UV light, radiation, cigarettes, coffee, alcohol, late nights, cortisol, stress, we impair our body's ability to respond appropriately to injuries. What the stem cell does for you is that's the cell that helps you respond to injury. The problem is as you get a little older, you have less of them and they don't do as much as they used to do. I want to get to that in a second. I'm still, I want to hear the history. I want to hear your yeah. path because you ended with, during residency, we started to yeah. do bone marrow concentrate, bone marrow aspirate concentrate. For non-union fractures. For non-union yeah. fractures. And so you started were with, the worst people, so you guys were willing to try some things that other people weren't. Well, we had the opportunity because these people had no other options, right? So the best part about doing a trauma fellowship is we were their last hope. We were the the uh, Island of Misfit Toys, so to speak, right? Island of Misfit Toys. So we, we, used to, we used to, you know, especially around Christmas time when that movie comes out with Chris Kringle, we, we, we would literally collect the injured patients from all over South Florida, South, uh, North Florida, Alabama, Georgia. We were the only level one trauma center on the West Coast of Florida. 
And um, so when people would fail multiple surgeries, we, we, they'd walk into the resident clinic and, and you had to come up with a way to solve their problem. And a lot of times it was as easy as finding a way to put more stress on the fracture. You know, they'd have some plate that was plated in distraction. So a lot of times it was just taking some screws out. Sometimes it was um, loosening up a frame that was holding the fracture apart and didn't let the fracture heal. We would compress the frame so that the piezoelectric effect, you know, fractures need stress to generate bone. So stress across bone generates an electronegative charge, calcium and phosphorus are positively charged. The biomechanics of basic physiology, which unfortunately as surgeons, I don't, I don't know when we're supposed to forget that, but, but apparently we do. Uh, it's trained out of us. That's what I always tell the residents when they're with us is don't let, don't let basic science and, and, and physiology be trained out of you uh, into a surgical approach. But when you create an electronegative charge from a compression against a fracture, calcium goes in and so you can get some healing. But without blood supply, the, there's, a, there's a rule, in, and I'm, I'm an osteopathic physician, so I went to DO medical school because our team doctor in Oklahoma State was DO and, and getting manipulated felt good and I wanted to know how to do that and I didn't even know there was a difference. I knew I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I said, can I be an orthopedic surgeon if I was DO? And he said, absolutely. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's about how I made that decision. Oklahoma State had a DO medical school. OU's was MD. The last thing in the world I wanted was a red diploma. <laughs> uh, so, Oklahoma State fans are yeah. pretty loyal. Yeah. So I got accepted yeah, at Oklahoma are. State and OU. Yeah. That was an easy decision. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even know what a, a DO was, but one of the DOs at the time gave me a book called The Difference a DO Makes. And um, he was trying to teach me about the school I just decided to go to. And they said that uh, on, when it comes to healing, that the rule of the artery is supreme. Oh. The rule of the, the artery, artery is supreme. supreme. So yeah, the, rule of the, ar- the, right. rule, the rule of the artery is supreme, but lymphatics have veto power, right? I've so, never heard this. So that was the, it's, it's the foundation of A.T. Still creation. So, you know, osteopathic medicine was created by an MD, right? A.T. Still was an MD. He started the first DO medical school in Kansas. But he did it because he was unhappy with traditional medical approaches, mobilization of the joint instead of letting it get all swollen up seemed to make the patients function a little bit better, right? And he actually cured the plague by creating what's called a lymphatic pump. People would breathe out all the way, he would push down on their chest, and then he would let up and it would create, open up the alveoli and he could get people over dramatic pulmonary effusions by creating this thing called a lymphatic pump and it would get the chylomicrons out of the, out of the lung tissue. Well, with what we're doing, it literally goes back to the foundations of what created a lot of modern medical science is that without blood supply, there's no healing, right? And that's true for orthopedic fractures. It's true for muscles, tendon injuries. When we first started doing bone marrow, go back to that point on, on the trauma surgeon, we weren't real sure that if we put bone marrow into a tendon that it wouldn't make bone. I mean, that was our fear. We thought, we thought when we took bone marrow aspirate concentrate, we were real careful to make sure we, we kept it in the, in the osseous part now, of the had fracture. Had this been done on animals yet, or were you guys Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it, 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 a matter of fact, there's there some really good studies published on bone marrow going back to the, to the mid-'90s. Um, there's a, there, was a, there was actually a really a great study, but here's how little they knew about what we were doing. In Israel, um, 15, 20 years ago, there was a study on pro, complex proximal tibia fractures. 
which is a disaster. If you have a tibial plateau at the base of your knee, if it's a complex fracture in more than one part, it's called a Schatzker 6, right? So Schatzker's fracture. So if you have a Schatzker 6, um, we used to call it FUBAR, right? <laughs> so that was our classification. Um, so we, we uh, with the Schatzker 6, what they did in Israel is they treated um, half of them with bone marrow aspirate concentrate and half of them with just plating and without bone marrow aspirate concentrate. But interestingly, because it was so early, they added PRP to the bone marrow aspirate concentrate thinking that it made it work better and really all they did is dilute it down. So PRP, the machine that I helped develop, the arterial site machine. Hold on one second. John. Define what PRP okay, is. Okay, so the machine that we work with, the machine that I've been working with for, for quite a while and, and have actually helped um, uh, hopefully uh, without, I mean, not taking real credit for anything, but, but knowing that, that I've been a significant part of the innovation of this, the development of their kit, right? I mean, I actually patented the Bomer Osprey catheter. The catheter that comes in that kit is my, my design. Um, PRP is when you take whole blood and spin it down in the machine to concentrate the growth factors and get rid of some of the white cells. And so you create what's called platelet-rich plasma, right? And platelet-rich plasma is generated from the centrifugation of whole blood into the growth factors and platelets that are needed to help get rid of inflammatory change. A lot of times getting rid of the inflammatory change is the way to start the healing cycle. Inflammation gets in the way. You gotta put out the fire before you can grow new grass, right? And so with inflammatory change, if you turn the inflammation off, ligamentous tissue tendons heal faster. With bone marrow aspirate concentrate, what wasn't really understood as well in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, and it is now hopefully, is that bone marrow is still 97% whole blood, right? So when we spin down bone marrow, you're getting platelet-rich plasma. So you're, you're actually doing PRP. Yeah, uh, but you're doing PRP with stem cells. Yeah. So bone marrow aspirate concentrate has the stem cells needed to help you heal. And we know that those stem cells, because when, when, I don't know how old you are, but while I was in school, there wasn't such a thing as a mesenchymal stem cell. Okay, a mesenchymal stem cell was named the mesenchymal stem cell in 1995 by a doctor named Arnie Kaplan at Case Western. And Arnie Kaplan um, named a cell that previously in medicine, what we do is we name cells based on the characteristics, right? So before it was a mesenchymal stem cell, it was an aplastic, undifferentiated, pluripotential adherent cell. Yeah, I liked it way better back in that day. Yeah. I think, that, yeah. I think they got way too, yeah. way too uppity by calling it mesenchymal yeah. stem cell. Yeah, but, old school, baby. Well, and, and not only that, but there's, it, when people use the term mesenchymal stem cell, most of the time they don't even know what they're talking about, right? So there's a CD marker, a surface cell marker. There's 600 different types of these cells based on their surface marker. So when we talk about mesenchymal stem cells, people think there's like one kind. No, there's some of them that we don't really need to help you heal. There's some of them that we need crucially to help you heal. And we know the difference between these based on their CD markers. So we've actually quantitated what cells we want, what cells we don't want, and found a way to concentrate the cells we want when we do these spins. So with bone marrow, you're getting platelet-rich plasma, but you're getting the best platelet-rich plasma because you're spinning it from the most immature blood. When you spin down whole blood, you're getting PRP, 
but you're getting none, no stem cells. All right, so let's clarify, because this is... It's this a definition is, of it's, terms, It's right? beautiful and it's brilliant, but what you're saying is that saying just stem cells doesn't mean just stem cells. No. Stem cells, when we have these mesenchymal stem cells, which is the earliest of the stem cell, correct? Right. Then you guys have markers where you can determine the type what of stem cell, which ones do you need? What ones preferentially help you grow cartilage? What ones preferentially help you grow tendon? What ones preferentially grow fat? Right? So fat stem cells, the, if, you make, if you make fat graph or a stem cell graph from fat, that, those cells grow fat really well. Yeah. But you know what they don't grow really well is cartilage because there's a peptide called SOX9 that's not secreted by the fat stem cell. Right? So when we quantitate stem cells, I'm not interested in what those cells could become. Let me just say right now, because this is my pet peeve. If you go to a stem cell lecture, and the first slide they show is this one cell can become these five types of cells. And the differentiation and the ability of these cells to become these five is what makes it so magic. That's completely wrong, right? That's true in the lab. That's not how it works in the body. What happens in the body is your, cell, your body sees an injury. It secretes cells, starting with the hemopoietic stem cell, which is the CD34, right? So CD34. Right, hold, on, hold on one second. I've, got, I've, I've been messaged. Where it says, okay, I'm getting a little stressed out. I feel like I'm producing the wrong stem cells because I'm putting on weight. How do I change my, <laughs> how do I change my stem cells to get rid of the adipose tissue? Yeah. And then somebody, well. <laughs> somebody else just sent there and just go, I got lost at CD something or other. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, CD so, th yeah, so you were way more scientific our, our, than I thought I would be as an orthopedist. I thought I would come in, bone bent, me make straight, right? <laughs> uh, so, so when I was a resident, or actually when I was at medical school, the running joke at the time, <laughs> Orthopedics was the hardest residency to get into. Yeah, but you had to become stupid right away. And then, <laughs> by the time we were residents, the attendings would just be like, how do we take the smartest guys and make them the dumbest yeah. people? We need, to we need to unlearn. That's what yeah. I talk about. When I, mean, I mean it when I say don't unlearn medicine, right? You get the orthopedic resident. It was the hardest residency to get to, but you were expected to never even look at an EKG again. Right. If you walked into a surgery patient and you're like looking at their head or their EKG, the attendings would walk in and go, what the hell are you doing? No, right. I think it's I think I think so, the person to actually talk about this is Eric, who, yeah. who used to put those people to sleep where you have a surgeon right. going, can I cut? And you're like, no, yeah. he's dying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, interestingly, yeah. Eric used to put my patients to sleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So you would sit there and just be like, uh, Dr. McKenna, are the CD6 and CD7 yeah. mesenchymal cells ready? Well, yeah. I remember there was a joke that was, uh, how do you find the orthopedist or the radiologist? And they're going the opposite direction at the code blue. So. That's exactly <laughs> right. They're running away from the scene, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, we used to say, you know, if you, want, if you have a dollar and you want to hide it from a surgeon or from any kind of physician, there's different places you have to put it. Right. If you want to hide it from a radiologist, you tape it to a patient. <laughs> if, if, if you want to hide it if you want to hide it from an orthopedic surgeon you put it in a book right? <laughs> so if you want to hide it from a plastic surgeon well you can't hide a dollar from a plastic surgeon <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, well, that's you, you were going down a rabbit hole there where we yeah, were talking the CD34 what we were talking about is the initiation of healing right so with the CD34 it secretes a peptide called PGE2 PG2 is, is one of those keys in starting new vessel growth. Well, the way to grow hair, the way to have ED go away, the way to have stress urinary incontinence go away, the way to have your wrinkles go away, the way to have your fracture heal, the way to have your tendon remodel. No, you had me at wrinkles, ED, yeah. and hair. Okay, yeah. so, so now, so we start out, I'm treating non-union fractures, right? 
Well, we figure out pretty quick that if you put bone marrow aspirate concentrate, it, was, it wasn't, and there's a great study published. Um, it was a limb salvage uh, patient uh, in Japan where 15 surgeries, big proximal uh, defect at the proximal tibia, and the, the general surgeon was, was livid at the orthopedic surgeons want to, to put bone marrow aspirate concentrate in the fracture because he was proving that there was no vascularity to the leg. So to backdoor the orthopedic surgeon, this was published as a case report, the vascular surgeon does this arteriogram with lower extremity. And it shows that there's literally no collateral flow around this fracture site. And this kid basically has a limb salvage frame on his leg with this big proximal defect, two years out, multiple fasciotomies, non-usable leg, a mess score really high, needs, needs amputation. The orthopedic surgeon has seen all the stuff on bone marrow aspirate concentrate, wants to inject bone marrow before he takes his frame off. Eventually, as a surgeon, you become kind of emotionally connected to your, to your work, right? The guy does not want to cut this leg off. The vascular surgeon is trying to prove it needs to come off. He does an arteriogram. The family still doesn't want to let it cut off, so they have bone marrow injected in the fracture site. At eight weeks, they redo the arteriogram because the orthopedic surgeon, the arteriogram wasn't ordered by him, but you're starting to see new bone. The kid's having less pain. He's putting hmm. weight on the leg. You're getting new bone formation, but they have this arteriogram sitting out there that shows no blood flow. So they redo the arteriogram, and there's all this collateral circulation around the fracture. All right, so basically for everybody listening, arteriogram is a study where it actually shows the arteries. Yeah, you put dye in a vessel, and it shows up on x-ray. And there right? was no blood flow going below where the fracture right. was. there's no dye. The dye stops, and there's this little bitty pattern, and there's a little trickle of dye and down the leg. And you guys injected something into the bone, not into the arteries. Not into the artery into the periosteal sleeve, the covering of the bone where, the, where, the, where there was no bone, where there was this big bony defect, they put bone marrow aspirate concentrate in there. The way the bone marrow aspirate concentrate worked, it didn't become bone, which is what we thought. What it does is it secretes the peptides and proteins necessary to bring new blood flow, blood flow yeah. which allowed the bone to heal. Oh. So now there's this arteriogram sitting out there that shows no collateral flow. Say that saying again, that blood flow. The rule of the artery is supreme. The rule right. of the artery is supreme. A.T. Still, I'll give him a credit for that from the 1800s. Rule of the artery is supreme. Lymphatics have veto power. And that's a Dr. Graham from uh, Oklahoma State's manipulation class kind of add on there. That if everything's so swollen and blood flow can't get to it, it can't heal. Yeah. So, so. you guys injected this. This is the first time you saw that bone marrow aspirate. Because this is going to be a great segue yeah. when we go to the next half hour where we really do jump into the stem cells. We've got a, uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it, is it at a level that we can help people because I'm getting a lot I'll, of things. I'll go back to the bone bent me make straight. I'm, 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 I'm way better well, no, no, at no. that. Like yeah. I'm being asked questions like, does it help with back? Can you, yes. Does it help so with bone a, on bone? And so we're, we're yes. going to get to that next half All hour. Right. Yeah. But on and great papers published, right? Everyone that says, oh, there's no literature published. Again, there's been 3,500 papers published with my little catheter and the kit we designed for bone marrow aspirate. 3,500 papers published, there's never been an untoward report, there's never been a tumor, there's never been, that you can't reject your own bone marrow. So this is the bone marrow aspirate injections that you guys are doing. This is the very beginning of stem very, cell research. It's the only cell in the U.S. you're allowed to call a stem cell. Wow. You cannot So legally. you guys really, you guys literally were the first people playing around with stem cells. The trauma surgeon uh, department pulling bone marrow, yeah, Holy not, not knowing what we were doing. We were using bone marrow aspirate concentrate for the fatty component of marrow that seemed to help fractures heal faster, which is where microfracture surgery of the knee, all this comes in my mind from, we would we'd do a knee scope, there's an uncovered cartilage area, we poke a couple holes in the bone, in the bone, 
to let some bone marrow leak into the knee thinking that that helped the cartilage lesion heal. It's called a microfracture. Now, it doesn't work very well. It creates a cartilaginous cap. It's not good cartilage, but it, it does heal something. But it, my thought was, when I created this catheter, if a couple drops of bone marrow makes a difference, what would, what would 60 cc's concentrated down to four or five do? That was where we started with this, to inject Holy into cow. cartilage injuries. That's where, that's where that's this whole the beginning thing began. Of it. That's, that's the beginning cow. for me, yeah. Do you think, or do you think that uh, it's bone marrow and the stem cells that come from bone marrow are really adapt to this type of healing simply because that's where we release our red blood cells it's from? It's how your body does it. Yeah. Okay, so this is how your body heals already, right? Right. The, the, we're, not, we're not inventing a new way to make something heal. This is how the body heals. This is where those, you know, it, it, this is how God does it, right? He sends the cell there. It secretes this protein. The vessel grows. You get new blood supply. Tendon grows, right? This is how it works already. It's just as we get older, or if you get, you know, lymphedema, swelling, all lympha the lymphatic flow where I talk about has veto power is a big swollen leg. If you have a big swollen foot, good blood flow can't get to it, right? So it's all about mobilizing an ankle fracture and all this stuff so that blood flow can get to it because if it's real swollen, you can't put any extra water in a full glass, right? So new water can't get to it. That old contaminated dead water sits there. You have to pour the glass out a little bit to put some new healthy water back in. That's how blood flow works. Which is why lymphedema and lipedema is so dangerous. Yeah, and has, it has absolute um, control over blood flow to, to, the, to the injured tissue. Before we dive deep into stem cells, does PRP work? I have a lot of friends sure. that do it. Yeah, so here's the deal. So um, PRP is like bone marrow light. Bone marrow light. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So PRP is bone marrow with no stem cells. It's, it's a good growth component. It's great at... It's a one-time shot, right? So you, when you put PRP in something, you're getting a one-time shot of growth factors that limits and stops the inflammatory response from cytokines. You're not going to grow tissue. It, there's no stem cells. You're not getting a stem cell injection, which is one of the things that pushes me over the edge. Is someone, oh, I went and got stem cells from my blood. No, no you didn't. You, know? <laughs> uh, you got an injection, but, but it wasn't stem cells. It's PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Now, PRP is also in bone marrow. Right. But there are stem cells in bone marrow. So when you say PRP, if you got it from your whole blood, it's just PRP. If you got bone marrow aspirate it's all the best components of PRP and stem cells. So that, that, that study I was telling you about. So here's how little. So even though they published this great study showing that bone marrow aspirate helped the complex fractures heal 50% faster and all of them healed. The ones that didn't have bone marrow, not all of them healed and they took twice as long to heal. That was published 20 years ago, right? With bone marrow aspirate, but they knew so little about bone marrow aspirate that they spun down whole blood too in the same machine to try to give it more volume because we thought the PRP might help the bone marrow work better. When in actuality, you're already getting PRP when you spin down bone marrow. So all we were doing literally in that study in Israel, they were just diluting it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I was just laughing. This is similar when you say, no, you didn't get stem cell, you got blood. This is when you and I were talking about fasting and I've had some uh, friends that have maybe overdone it on Adderall a little bit. And they're like, yeah, I've gone three days without eating. <laughs> and, and Eric's like, that doesn't count. It yeah. cortisol and everything. Yeah. And, it, does not and he basically made the analogy, hey, it saved some money. I was in jail all weekend. I didn't spend anything. <laughs> you know, there's a great, when you guys talked about intermittent fasting, uh, there's a great study published in Cell Metabolism last year that showed that the, 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 they're correlating it to, to longevity in mice. 
And the, the mice that had the longest food-free intervals actually increased their lifespan. Well, hey, we've got a whole other hour with Dr. Wade McKenna. I don't want to lose track. We're going to get into disease states now. Yeah, there we go. Stay cool. tuned. Five minutes. This is the only 24-hour, take-anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Rich Thomason. With the Mueller report about to be released, Attorney General Barr says the special counsel's Russia probe leaves no doubt that Moscow did try to interfere in the 2016 U.S. election. But thanks to the special counsel's thorough investigation, we now know that the Russian operatives who perpetrated these schemes did not have the cooperation of President Trump or the Trump campaign, or the knowing assistance of any other American, for that matter. Barr says the White House cooperated fully with the special counsel's investigators, and he says the evidence gathered by those investigators not sufficient to establish obstruction of justice. White House officials set to go over each and every page of the 400-page Mueller report. The Trump White House has already pronounced total exoneration for the president in the Russia collusion case, but attorneys and White House staff members will be poring over the Mueller document's findings so they can craft an official White House response. The president's legal team also is planning to release a rebuttal of the Mueller report. That's White House correspondent Greg Clugston. Boeing says it's making good progress in a software fix for its troubled Max series of 737. This team of Boeing pilots, engineers, technical experts, and our partners were comprehensively testing the software to make sure that it does the job, and they're taking the time to get it right. Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg, the Max jets taken out of service just about everywhere pending the software update. A booming job market means a number of Americans filing for unemployment has now dropped to the lowest level since November of 69. Retail sales surged last month, up 1.6%. On Wall Street, the Dow 53 points higher, the S&P is two points lower, the Nasdaq down 25. More on these stories at townhall.com. Now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 800-452-1075. 800-452-1075. That's 800-452-1075. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-245-0823. 800-245-0823. 
800-245-0823. Call right now. That number again is 800-245-0823. Never Forgotten Apparel is more than just a premium women's and men's clothing line. It's a movement to remind us to wear American-made and serve those who serve us. Our heroes. Never Forgotten Apparel gives 20% of their total sales to nonprofits that support homeless veterans and off duty firefighters, and 50% to individual veterans and firefighters in need nationwide. Check out NeverForgottenApparel.com. Use promo code MATT, M A T T, and get 15% off your purchase. Welcome back. It is now the second hour of episode number seven of the Gut Check Project. I'm Eric Rieger, joined with your host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. And we also have in studio today, Dr. Wade McKinnis, stem cell expert and longtime orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Sweet. Brown. Well, as you can back. see, we started firing up, getting a lot of brain energy going on on, on that last segment. I started getting hot, and yeah. I'm wearing my Tequila 512 shirt. Nicely which done. I believe <laughs> the two people sitting in front of me um, happen to be have some ownership in it yeah. and, and big fans of the product too. yeah yeah well, if you're gonna enjoy some tequila you might as well have some tequila 512 yeah so i'm gonna fire a question but i'm also gonna take a little cbd here to regenerate my anandamide and 2ag nice because i think i spent some there with the um trying to keep up with dr mckenna all right <laughs> which you would have believed that right yeah. I mean, uh, it, it bothered me when someone says stem cell expert i always look to see who's behind me but then but literally, we've done over 10,000 cases in the U.S. now. So so let me let me throw one out for you. We got a message from Victoria that says, can you fix bone-on-bone degenerative discs? So here's the the short answer, and there's, you, know, you, you know me enough already by now to know that's probably not possible. <laughs> um, the, in a good um, prospective randomized study uh, that started with just PRP because, again, bone marrow spot concentrate. The only reason PRP exists as a product is because we couldn't get approval for bone marrow. So we were spinning down horse blood. The equine market, you could sell PRP into. People will pay more to have their horse injected than they will their kid. And the horse has four (laughs) extremities. And so we were spinning down whole blood, created PRP while we were waiting on the FDA to approve bone marrow. Uh, Whole blood is exempt. And bone marrow wasn't. And and so to get the validations on bone marrow, a lot of PRP was created. Um, so th- there you go. So um, the short answer is interdiscal injections have already, there's several great papers already published. Um, and the most recent one, uh, at two years, 92% of the patients had interdiscal injections on degenerative disc disease. And and I would I would take it even a step farther. Um, in that, in our in our clinical practice, we've done over 300 discs now. Um, in, in that, if you have an annular tear, I mean a tear in the covering of the disc, that is a primary pain generator. It's a bright spot on the MRI called a HIZ lesion or high intensity high intensity signal. Uh, a lot of radiologists don't you know, fail to mention that, I guess. But if there's an annular tear, a high intensity signal within the within the disc. That alone is a dramatic pain generator. It can even cause the exact same symptoms as a herniated disc would as far as lower extremity pain and weakness because the nerve crosses that annular tear. The annular tear generates substance P, generates the cytokines, generates the exact same pain response. So there's two times of radicular pain coming from the back, leg and hip pain, radicular. So that's the old folks called sciatica. If it can be pressure caused by a big herniated disc, neuroforaminal stenosis, meaning the canal gets too tight, 
the facets in your back get hypertrophic, get extra large as they wear out. So there's, there's, you can have pressure, stenotic pressure on a nerve where it feels like it's just being crushed. That causes leg and hip pain and back pain. Or you can have a chemical radiculopathy created by a tear in the disc, and it feels the same. Patient can't tell the difference. But That's one of them, almost everybody always says my bulging disc. Yeah, right. it could be. Yeah, yeah. But, but but bulging discs aren't the problem because here's what we know. Here's what's already published. If I do MRIs on a lot of people that have no back and leg pain, then a lot of them have bulging discs. So um, how's it happen? How how can some people's bulging discs hurt and some people's bulging discs don't? Right. Not only that, if you experience, if you have a bulging disc, the non-operative follow-up at two years is the same as the operative follow-up. If you don't have weakness. If you have pain that you can tolerate and you don't have weakness in the lower extremity, at two years, you're doing the same as the people that had a discectomy if you don't have surgery. What? Right? Wow. Yeah, Wait yeah. a minute. That's published for a long time. So we're not So if you helping. extrude a free fragment, that free fragment will absorb. Your body is a really adept at getting rid of items extruded into the canal, and it will absolutely absorb uh, and, and get rid of a free fragment as long as that free fragment isn't putting so much pressure on the nerve that it decreases the blood supply from the pressure, it causes weakness in the lower extremity from the pressure, the nerve stops working, you have leg pain, you get a little foot drop, you get a little weakness, you need to have surgery. You don't have weakness and you just have pain. What's published now is if we inject that disc, the annular tear that doesn't go away on its own will heal. And most of the time, 92% in that study, if the annular tear heals, the back and leg pain go away. 92%? 92% of the patients that had an injection didn't go on to a primary fusion. Wow. Now, now here's the other side of that. The patients that had a fusion at five years, 30% of them had two surgeries. So if you have a fusion at one level, 30% of the time within the next five years, you're at risk of having a second surgery, either a fusion at the level above or below, or hardware removal or revision, or you get extra bone from the fusion and they have to reopen up the nerve roots, they have to do a nerve frame Every time you do surgery, the muscles of the back die a little. So the paravertebral muscles, the muscle mass. So it, when you look at someone bent forward, you know that little, it looks like a dinosaur, right? That little thing, the ridge that sticks up in the middle of your back? Sure. That's called the spinous process. The muscles that lay on each side of the spinous process have to be moved out of the way for you to do a back surgery. We used to make fun of the spine surgeons when I was a, a fellow in trauma because they only have one incision, right? It's midline and low back, right? <laughs> we had to learn all these other incisions, and spine surgeons learn, learn one. one. But what they don't learn that trauma surgeons learn is we make an incision that is designed to not limit the structure, function, blood supply, or nerve to the muscle we're moving. In the spine, the multifidi, that small muscle on each side of that ridge, the nerve and vessel come from the midline and the back. But we're moving that away. And so when you do an MRI of someone's back that's had back surgery, initially, the muscles on each side of that look like filet mignon. That's tenderloin, right? That's the back strap. Hey, we're fasting. For, for hunters. We're not talking tenderloin yeah. right now, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm real hungry. So when you move that muscle out of the way and you go back and you do an MRI of that back that had um, surgery and now they're five years out and they're having pain again. 
And the neurosurgeon looks at the films and goes, wow, the disc looks great. The nerve roots wide open. You just want pain meds. There's no reason for you to be here. Your back's fine. Well, if you look at the MRI, though it used to look like tenderloin, now looks like prime, like, like strip steak or, or, or worse. Um, just We call it white muscle syndrome. It, the whole thing just looks like fatty infiltration. Oh, like Arby's. Like, um, prime, <laughs> like more like prime rib, right? So there's a little bit of muscle mixed in there. There's not a diagnosis of Arby's back. Yeah. yeah, you you are fasting for way too long when you're talking about Arby's. <laughs> Roy Rogers from my generation. Hey, right? Let me ask you a, a follow-up question to that. Um, she was asking how many injections did that take to achieve the 92%? Most of the time it's one. One injection. One so treatment. One injection for and what we do, what we, what we do is we, we want to be more specific, right? So my, my problem with stem cell science as a whole is a lot of times patients get in the mix where they're never really diagnosed. And I, I'm a firm believer that you can't treat something if you didn't diagnose it. I don't, I, if I don't know what I'm treating, my chances of making it go away are pretty slim. And, and, tr- and unfortunately, a lot of stem cell injectors out there don't make the effort to actually diagnose a problem, but they're, get, they're willing to inject anything. Well, that's that, that's very nonspecific treatment, and it kind of it, it kind of puts your your results at risk if you don't know what you're treating because you don't know what you can heal and what you can't heal. When you what we so what we do when we're doing a disc injection is I want to know that was the pain generator, right? So there's an old test that used to be the standard of care before you had a fusion. Now, because fusions are so rampant in our country. We've gotten away from more specific diagnosis on making sure that the fusion was necessary. And they do it based on MRI criteria. Well, MRI criteria is not very specific because you can have three discs that look really bad on MRI and the patient not have any back pain. Or you can have three discs that look really bad on MRI and only one of those discs be causing the patient's primary pain. And you don't know. So what you do, or what they used to do a lot and what not a lot of people do anymore, is they do a discogram. You literally put a needle within the disc of the back while the patient's asleep. You kind of bring them up into twilight a little bit. And you inject dye into the disc to increase interdiscal pressure and see if it leaks. So if the dye has a tear and the dye leaks out or it has a really disrupted pattern and it causes concordant pain. So there's three things to make a discogram positive. So let me get this straight. When you guys are looking at a bad MRI, you have a patient that hurts, right. they've got bulging discs, they've got this, you go to each disc and see? So what you do is, the, the, the ones that look the worst, right, especially ones that have an annular tear, we'll put that patient asleep, we'll put a needle in, in you know, at least the, the... And this is different than a myelogram. Oh, absolutely. A okay. myelogram is just putting some dye within the canal. Okay. Right? It just looks for pressure it looks for areas that aren't are tight right the discogram is positive if three things happen it, it needs to cause pain so if i inject your disc and you get this nice little pattern within the disc like a jelly donut so the disc is kind of like a big jelly donut right the middle part of that is a consistency of like crab the outer part of it is is big fibrotic thick ropey type tissue when you tear the rope, the crab can kind of leak out and put some pressure on it, and your body kind of scars that in. So it doesn't often generate a big free fragment, but it generates a smaller canal. And myelogram will show that. But discogram, you're injecting into the disc. When you put dye in the middle of the jelly donut, if it doesn't have a disrupted pattern, it doesn't leak everywhere, and it doesn't cause pain, that's not a pathologic disc. Even if it looks black on MRI, even if it looks like it's herniated, if I inject dye in it and you have no pain, it's negative, right? A lot of negative discs are fused. 
That's wow. why people. That's why not a lot of people. Right, so that's why. That's what happens when someone doesn't get better. Okay, so you just covered something that. So yesterday, I had a friend text me. Um, he's like, "Hey, give me the name of a good back surgeon. My back's hurting." And I'm like, "Well, we gotta." I'm like, "What is it? You know, are you looking? Is this something that's chronic thing?" You start asking questions like, yeah. "Is this a rehab thing? Is this whatever?" And his response was, "I've been cut enough. I'd prefer to avoid it." And then yeah. you start realizing, "Oh my gosh, wait a minute. There's a lot of times well, it's." You got to get the diagnosis right, right? Because there's a lot of pain generators in the back. Uh, the the facet joint can cause pain. The muscle deterioration after surgery causes secondary pain because that muscle that we kill, that that multifidi muscle on each side of that ridge down the middle of your back, as that goes away, that's the primary posterior support of the little facet joints on the side, and it ends up being the primary support for the SI joints, both sides of the back of your hip. So all these people that have fusions or have a laminectomy. A lot of them end up with, about five years later, their back's hurting again, their facet joints hurt, and they, so we inject their facets and do some epidurals. Now, you're talking not stem cell injections. Not stem cells. Now, this yeah. is traditional medicine, right? And then the, it's, it's down into their SI joints. Now they're getting SI joint injections. It, all you're doing is kind of chasing the rabbit of deterioration of the muscle mass that was killed at the time of the laminectomy. So what we do with that patient is you take the, the dead paravertebral muscles, just like we would if you have a big disrupted tendon, in 2013, we published a study where 10-centimeter mass in the middle of Achilles, we didn't reconstruct the Achilles. I injected cells in it. It completely reformed. The most amazing part is we actually published the study 11 weeks later because she had no pain and was playing tennis again after being out of the sport for 10 years. At 32 weeks, she's English. At 32 weeks, she comes back over to this country. We're having dinner because she wanted to take me. My girls were big fans, and they wanted. To, we, she agreed to go to dinner. So we, we go to dinner, and she says, you know, um, Dr. McKenna, my bump is gone. I'm like, what? She's near the bump, my mass. It's gone. So I'm crawling around the floor at Brio's in South Lake trying to look at this, <laughs> much to my daughter's chagrin, right? Um, so, but she's right. The mass is completely gone. So I said, look, do you mind if we get MRIs of both your tendons while you're in town? I said, no, that'd be lovely. So we get MRI. So we'd already published the paper that at 11 weeks we'd healed this disrupted 10-centimeter mass that had been there for a decade in Achilles and with no surgery. And this 10-centimeter mass you keep referring to is basically scar tissue. It's all scarred in tendon. Like it's like the rope comes undone. It's a big frayed-out knot, right? Well, that frayed-out knot hurts, and it's a mass. And she never had it fixed because no one would ever promise her a result. And, and they wouldn't kept, promise it because? Because you, you can't promise a result when you're fixing a tendon that doesn't have very good blood supply. The complications, the complication of Achilles tendon surgery is, is what ruined Dan Marino's career, right? So we, we can't make it heal. Well, we can, but you have to do less, not more. Matter of fact, there's a lot of move in medicine now hmm. to go away from operative intervention into Achilles tendons and just go into functional bracing because the results are about the same as far as return to sport and, and, and pain relief. So, so I, might as well, I might as well ask you this because you always hear this. So if, there's so many physicians at the hospital that are, mid, that are early 40s trying to get out there and they go and they join a rec soccer league and they yeah. blow their Achilles and I see yeah. them. Wounded warriors, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a common injury. Do you operate on a torn Achilles? It depends on how much retraction there is and how acute it is. Um, sometimes we'll do a very minimally invasive, limited approach to kind of reapproximate the tendons wrap it in a graft and inject it with cells and get those patients moving. Previously, this was a six to 12 month kind of thing. I don't even keep people in a brace longer than the first couple of weeks. Matter of fact, wow. in the patient we're talking about, I never braced her, kept her in regular shoe wear. At 32 weeks, when she shows back up with the normal size tendon, we redo the MRI. You can't tell which side's hurt. So what we didn't know, and what that was wasn't one injection, one, one injection, stem cell one, injection, one treatment. 
And what we wow. didn't know, that wasn't even part of my hypothesis, right? My hypothesis was, I'm going to get rid of the inflammatory tissue. I'm going to help the, get rid of some of the fibrotic scarring that's painful. And I'm going to help give a better quality of tissue within the tendon so she hurts less. What I didn't know that those cells were capable of doing is completely remodeling the tendon. So that 10 centimeter mass remodeled. When you look at an MRI, they refer to it as heterogenic, meaning lots of signal, disorganized fibers, or homogenicity, which is nice black laminar collagen fibers, right? She had complete homogenicity of the tendon that we had injected. And exactly, so the tendon on her opposite side is 2.4 centimeters around. The tendon on the side we had injected before was 10. Now it's 2.4 centimeters around. I could not have done that surgically because surgically, if I open it up, I'll try to make it the same size as the other side. But part of the healing is either atrophy or hypertrophy. It kind of scars and gets a little bigger. So you get a knot. Without surgery, her body was able to remodel that tendon exactly the same size as the other side. So we actually published the follow-up as a letter to the editor of the first journal that published the 11-week follow-up showing it was healed. Because even though when we, we, we stopped short, like when it healed, we were like, hey, look at us, right? All right, so I think this is a, a good time to geek out again. So you're saying you inject this into this knot. I got Under a ultrasound, I take, the, I take the needle, go all the way across the tendon, and kind of inject, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a, I worked as a kid, right? So I worked in the oil field. My parents had a, a tong service, I had landscaping, I, I worked. It wasn't like now in South Lake where they bring in an insta yard and lay down all the grass. Right? <laughs> when I was a kid, if you had a pallet of grass, you had like an acre out of that. Yeah. Right? We broke it in little pieces. And you you sprig the yard. Right? Sprigs, yeah. So that's what we do with the tendon. I'll take that big 10 centimeter mass. I'll take a three and a half inch needle under ultrasound, go all the way across the mass and kind of inject as I come back. And so you're injecting the stem cells as you come back. Create through. a pathway through that tissue to kind of sprig the yard with new tissue. It, it, the way I think of it is you're kind of, you have all this dead yard, and you're trying to bring some, some more grass back to like it. Seeds. Some so, creeping substitutes. So I want exactly to know, right. I want a little bit more, you say to create new tissues. So the stem cells go, oh, this is an Achilles, let's become Achilles. Yeah, and oh, by the way, there's no blood supply here. And oh, by the way, this is a lot of fibrotic tissue here, and it's so under a lot of stress. That's what I want to know. How does it get rid of the fibrotic tissue. I get that we've got these. The collagen fibers are all there, right? It's disorganized, doesn't have much blood supply. You're literally repopulating an acellular area with tissue that secretes the peptides and proteins necessary to cause cellular infiltration with new blood supply. Microangiogenesis. Okay, the so growth these of cells new vessels. Start growing blood vessels, and then they also send out the cytokines proteins. that. that that get rid of the fibroblast, creating the remodeling scar of fibroblastic tissue. Wow! So it's not just that it's growing this new place. It's smart enough to say we need to get rid of this so that we have room. We need to increase blood flow over here. So it's, it's and almost, oh by the way, this tendon needs to be two point four centimeters around. We need to remodel it and shrink it down. And we didn't do that, right? And that's published in a, mo a lot of studies. Look, there's a rotator cuff study, and this is what drives me bad crazy you can use foul language i'm sorry I, didn't, yeah, I left out that word <laughs> <laughs> my mom may listen and so i don't want to use that word because she will be horrified um but what drives me crazy is when people talk about oh there's no studies there is 10 year follow-up on a rotator cuff study so in 2002 to 2004 dr in paris named phil hornigal because we didn't have the kit approved in the u.s yet used our kit with our tear site 
to create bone marrow aspartate and inject into rotator cuff repairs. All of the patients with the surgery for a full thickness rotator cuff repair. Um, 45 with cells, 45 without, right? The, what's published in every long-term rotator cuff study, and you never hear your orthopedic surgeon tell you this, but orthopedic's dirty little secret, that surgery has a 30% failure rate. So what's published in every long-term rotator cuff study is only about 70% of those patients get better. And Dr. Hornigal was destined in his mind, he thought there's no way that my study is going to look like that because all surgeons think their results are better than they are. In my experience, that, that means you've done one. Um, <laughs> and so I hate that, right? And in medicine, when you say time after time means two, and in my experience <laughs> means you've done one, in my series means you've done three. Um, so, so Dr. Hornigal was like, "If you do four, you're going to publish it." Yeah, if four, four is a long-term follow-up, four, randomized four, prospective you go on the, uh, lecture yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> four, I'm speaking at the academy. Uh, I've done more than all the other guys. Uh, so, so Phil, so he was sure his his data was going to be better. But in what he did, he, they did MRI as part of the French healthcare system. So the, it's all you know, all that all those patients are that they don't heal. You're still liable for them. It's all one pair group, right? Socialized medicine. So at six months on MRI, the ones that didn't have bone marrow, only 67% were healed. Oh, oh. same as the US, 30% failure rate. And the ones that had bone marrow aspirate concentrate, 100% were healed. So 45 healed at six months on MRI, the only difference, bone marrow aspirate concentrate. Now, 67% of the 45 without. Now in Paris, and we could never do this in the US, in the US that means the study is over, those, the 30, 3% that didn't heal need to be injected, right? <laughs> Not in Paris. In Paris, they continue the study for 10 more years with multiple MRIs. At 10-year follow-up, only 44% of the patients that didn't have cells are still healed. 87% of the patients that, did, that had cells are, are healed. Wow. It's twice as much. Twice so as this much. Is, this is amazing. Like, and this and was, and this, and this was That was published ago? in the Journal of Shoulder and Elbow in 2014. 2014. This is going on. Yeah. And we've got both objective and subjective data and the outcomes. And functional outcome data. And I was just going to say, and the outcomes yeah. and the safety data. Yeah. This is exactly like what we were talking about before in the cannabidiol industry, the photobiomodulation. But you're told that doesn't exist, right? Like, like there's no reason to put, there's stem cells in the cuff doesn't work. Oh my God. I mean, other than 10 year follow-up, what do you want? I mean, so here's the real issue. Those were all patients that were taken to surgery for full thickness tears. What about the patient with the partial thickness tear? Yeah. that we're operating on. If they don't need a decompression, if they don't have some big spur pushing around on the cuff, most of our patients we inject under ultrasound and, they, and it gets better. They go away. All right, so I want to take this opportunity to look because I'm getting questions about where, well, number one, one that, that's popped up a couple times. Um, in, in your clinic, do you guys accept insurance? For the surgery part, sure. Yeah, so the, the, I'm a traditional orthopedic surgeon still, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I still do 50 surgeries a month and see 400 patients. Um, and I have a PA and, and nurse practitioner. And so, um, matter of fact, I, I still take Medicare uh, because I still but, do total but, needs. But does insurance but pay for the stem cell? Insurance does not pay for the stem cell injection part okay. of this. And, and not only that, if it's a non-surgical patient, if it's someone that just wants stem cells injected to the cuff, the insurance doesn't pay any part of that. If I'm doing stem cells at the time of your cuff repair, a lot of times we get the bone marrow is kind of part of the surgery itself. Okay. So I know that you're an orthopedist, but can, as we go head to toe, as we're closing down this, where can stem cell help when you start looking at a body? Well, here's the cool part. So I have a, a business partner that's way smarter than me. 
and uh, way more money and been doing it for and, and made way more money than I'll ever not make. Um, and he followed me and listened to what we were doing for years. I've taken his kid plays at Kansas basketball with pretty elite program. Um, I've taken care of a lot of athletes that are personal friends of theirs and I've taken care of his wife and his kids. Brian is a, you know, if you can, if you can, what about, what about hair and face and uh, you know, all these other problems because the PRP product that we help create, right, is used for hair growth for 10 years. There's a book actually called the O shot that's published on injecting the periurethral. Robin Benson's the one that told us about that. Yeah. Yeah, So, so Charles Runnels, um, the guy that is uses our kit, the PRP kit from our tier site and just uses PRP, no stem cells and it works. But if you put stem cells periurethral, at two years, the stress urinary incontinence is still gone compared to a bladder sling. Matter of fact, we've injected patients now for the for stress urinary incontinence that have had three bladder slings, still had stress urinary incontinence. You do a periurethral injection, you inject the clitoral tissue, the superior vaginal wall, anorgasmia goes away. Women become sexually mature again as far as their, their orgasmic response and the stress urinary incontinence go away, then cough, laugh, or sneeze, go to a movie. ED was published in 2009. Now we'll get back. But post- so basically, anywhere in the body. Yeah. Wow. Anywhere that has a blood supply problem or, or failure of the tissue. There's a wow. lot of applications. We'll get to that and the FDA problems next. Have you done it? You, you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror? I'm I'm one of those people you don't want to see naked. I yeah, most of us. But I mean, you look and you're going, "What the?" I know. How did I get to whatever? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Hey yeah. there, it's Doc Thompson and Brad Staggs to tell you about a different way mm-hmm. to shed those pounds. This is brand new tech. It's only been around for a couple of years or so. It was based on research from the University of California that said um, there's a molecule called OEA that's found naturally in your body. It produces it in the Mediterranean diet that when taken in concentrated amounts, it will actually make you feel fuller and boost your metabolism. I've lost about 10 pounds so far. It's amazing. It It really is cool. A company said, we can take this to market and make this great product that'll help you. It's called RidUZone, R-I-D-U-Zone.com, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. It's Brad's work, to, it's worked mm-hmm. for Brad's, worked for me, countless other people. Go to RidUZone.com and try today. You're going to love it. RidUZone.com. Remember that, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Take the pain out of ordering your diabetic testing supplies with Diathrive. Diathrive ships the testing supplies you need directly to you when you need them. Best of all, with plans starting as low as $8 a month, Diathrive is probably going to cost you less than what you're paying today. Diathrive is so convinced that you'll love their service, they're offering your first month of supplies free. Simply type the code DOC, D-O-C, at checkout. Diathrive.com. That's D-I-A, Thrive.com. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-570-6630. 800-570-6630. That's 800-570-6630. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. It's okay, Dr. McKinney. You can dance around to that kind of music if you like. 
We're back with the last half hour, and I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time with a whole lot of intros. We are going to start off. Dr. Brown, you had some questions during the break. You were going to ask Wade just the applications and Panama. Yeah, so basically we, I was asking you what different places could be, and you said any place where there's blood supply. And then I remember when I was watching the Joe Rogan show, which yeah. with, with your business partner, yeah. Neil Reardon, you guys uh, uh, had a clinic in Panama, and then they were talking disease states. So, right. I mean, we're not saying anything that's going to step on the FDA. You're not recommending it. But what diseases have they done, especially in Panama? So Neil has really good, uh, and, and Neil's a, a PhD, um, not a clinical physician. Um, so he doesn't have that patient care responsibility in the state. So, but as a clinical um, professional, um, he designed a process that in Panama for the administration of IV cells. And the best use of IV cells, like we've talked about before, it's about what they secrete, right? So autoimmune disorders, rheumatoid arthritis, um, MS, autism. I, I think Neil published a series recently of like 2,000 or 2,500 MS patients that have no brain and spinal cord lesions that are more than a couple years out. And there's some fairly famous local um, MS patients that – uh, we're pretty well disabled in a golf cart and a wheelchair and are running around on the sidelines coaching football again. Um, you know, when, when from Neil, IV injection, from IV therapy, letting these, letting these letting cells these get caught cells. up in the pulmonary parenchyma, right? Uh, I think Neil's protocols are like 120 million cells, 20 million cells per dose into five injections over a period of several days. Um, he's been incredibly adept at treating autoimmune disorders um, now, there's some of these disorders that you have to continue to treat. I mean, you know, one-time treatment, you'll burn through those cells eventually, and those cells aren't going to give you all new cellular volume. And so you have to get some of those have to be retreated, especially with like rheumatoid or, or uh, some of the more aggressive, like uh, pulmonary fibrosis, he's treated. Um, there's actually Okeanos, a heart hospital in uh, uh, the Bahamas, that's been treating uh, heart failure for a decade. Um, with this stem cell? With, with uh, they're using a different cell. So Neil uses cultured cells from the umbilical cord on the Wharton's jelly in um, uh, Okeanos down in the Bahamas. Currently, what they're doing is they're taking a, 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 con a, a construct from bat called SVF, digesting the tissue, culturing those cells, and injecting them IV and curing heart failure. Now, heart failure has been cured for a long time. So, there's a study. Heart failure has been cured for a long time. Yeah, just a side note. I yeah. remember going to your clinic about uh, three years ago. We I just stopped by for a visit, and the, you were holding in your hand the uh, the increase in ejection fraction specifically to uh, to CHF. Yeah. So so there's there's actually a study published um, uh, called Symbiosis, and it's a rat study out of Harvard ten years ago, fifteen years ago. They took uh, cardiac failure that, that was induced chemically in mice connected the vascular system to a non-disease mass, the heart failure went away. So <laughs> the... Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. They connected the vascular, the vascular system. system. Did they sew two mice together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what? Yeah. Literally, yeah. It's called symbiosis, right? So the That's disease... That's a very pleasant way to say we're going to yeah. do some Frankenstein yeah. mixing here. Well, here's, here's the way... Here's the, here's the problem. Here's what has to happen. The mice that didn't have the disease has to be able to sense the heart failure and still be healthy enough to secrete the cells necessary to treat the heart failure. 
Right? It's like that new Samsung. The disease well, I can charge your phone yeah. if you put that's, yours on. That's mine. exactly right. That's, so that's the, how the, the movie Human Centipede started. Yeah, so, I think. The, so, so the disease mice wasn't able to secrete the right cells to treat his heart. Failure. I just want to say that I had an over under uh, of how many episodes we would get in until Eric would bring up the movie Human Centipede. Human Centipede. Yeah. It, yeah. Took, it I, took exactly. Do we meet it? <laughs> nice. <laughs> you should have. We, we do this again. We'll, 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 we'll be talking about zombies and shit later. Um, but that, that study was published a long time ago. So, so at the time, um, not didn't even know why the heart failure went away. Now we've actually isolated the peptides and proteins necessary that were secreted to make the heart failure go away. It, there's a, a, a mass study done on, you know, if you want to talk about just one beneficial effect of stem cells that, that's way underappreciated, it's the prevention in, of infection and treatment of infected wounds. The, there's a study done out of San Francisco where they took uh, mice and iatrogenically um, and created six different types of nosocomial pneumonia, what you would get in the hospital. Right. They didn't treat the mice with antibiotics. They took bone marasperate concentrate, made it as a, as a slurry, treated it with a spray, pulmonary spray, and cured all the pneumonia in all six different types of mice. Then they, <laughs> they took the alveolar, they sacrificed the mice, take the alveolar washings, and could not culture out the bacteria on the alveolar washings. And there's, a, there's a peptide called LL37 that is secreted by the cells from bone marrow that is e- extremely um, um, bactericidal and, and helps modulate T cell function. So stem cells can only do three things, right? Well, look, hold on, I'm gonna stop you right there because I, um, I have a friend who's a, he's a bodybuilder peptide expert and we got to talking that you know, a lot of the in the bodybuilding community people are using peptides. So the yeah. way you're are these are we talking different peptides? Can I just take the CHF peptide and fix well, that's, CHF? That's, that's that's the that's the that's the the big intellectual property grab right now, right? Everyone trying to patent a peptide. My my theory on that is, you want to listen to the orchestra or trombone? You know, do you I want mean, to have a full spectrum or an isolate? Yeah, I'm just telling you the yeah. the stem cell. I don't have to tell the cell what peptide to produce. It knows, it right? It knows, yeah. So if I put the if I concentrate the cells and put them where they go, your body knows what it needs. It's the difference between you if you're hungry, going to seven eleven or going to Central Market. Where are you gonna have the most choices? I think when you start isolating different peptides and proteins to give to people, you're limiting what the body's really capable of or what it may need. Mm-hmm. Because it may need some of the other cofactors in there. So you want it to have central market of choices, not not seven eleven, right? It's and a great analogy. So yeah. I think I think that's I, I think that's crucial. So you've talked about uh, your experience in and uh, making sure that people get the right stem cells, making sure that a diagnosis is important, making certain that uh, people know that uh, you you can yeah, treat I, different diseases. What is it that you feel the ne- next generation is? You'd mentioned exosomes before. Yeah, so so here. I think the ways to differentiate. Yeah. So that we get rid of some of the the guys. Th- that think and you know and god bless the doctors look i know how hard it is to make a living as a physician it i i'm never i'm not throwing rocks at all because the doctors are told stuff and and they don't know right but most of what's being injected out there called a stem cell is completely acellular and has no stem cells in it and for the most part doesn't have a whole lot of growth growth factors the most popular amniotic graft on the market right now has between 50 and 150 picograms of pge2 PG2 is that one compound we're talking about that helps drive initial formation of new blood supply. Um, and that company is publicly traded and it's down from about $12 a share to about 4 So it shouldn't be too hard for everyone to know what I'm talking about, hopefully. But um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the graph that Dr. Reardon and I designed 
we got that graft uh, an injectable amnion up to about 800 picograms of PG2. Okay, oh. now what did the what did this other company that that the stock dropped? What was it? How many picograms did they have? About anywhere from 50 to 150. So there's not even really good standardization, right? So with different different doses, we get somewhere between 50 picograms, 150 picograms. Uh, the graft uh, amniotic therapies, uh, the company we had started back in the day, got about 800 picograms of PG2. The reason for Neil and I is falling out, where we're not in the same clinic anymore, is because a new graft came out. And as, as, the, as the physician, you know, the one that actually has to treat the patient, um, I'm not using the graft that has my name on it anymore. So, so the new graft, a company out of uh, Grapevine, has about 3,200 picograms of PG2. 3,200. Wow. You guys so, had 800. Yeah. And, so, and memetics that oh, what what did I say that? Um, <laughs> memetics the, <laughs> the, the 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 original the largest maker graph has somewhere between fifty and one hundred fifty. Hey, let me just I mean not to go down this rabbit hole, sure. but I'm impressed by this. You said that the reason why Neil and I are no longer business partners yeah. is because of this one thing where basically somebody came out with a superior product. Your change. name's on the yeah. other one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for me, right? Because financially, you know, it would make sense. Well, to, it's gonna it's gonna affect the friendship that you have. It's gonna affect the business. Oh yeah, and it's gonna. I mean, many. I'll say this: almost all doctors I know do not have that level of humility to go. My name's on this one, but wow, good job, guys. Yeah. Let's start. Let's start treating the people the right way. You know what? I, my life is so uncomplicated. If you just do the right thing, I. I, I literally, um, I, I look, I'm not, I don't always make the best decisions in my personal life. I'm not, I mean, I'm a mess, right? But <laughs> when, when it comes to taking care of patients, I've always been laser focused on making sure I do the right thing and, and try to put what's their best interest first. And they're trusting me. I feel very medieval about that doctor-patient relationship. When a patient's asleep, it's like you're a knight with a sword standing by the bed ready to smote anyone ready to hurt them, right? Sure. I mean. I mean, I mean, you're their only protector. They're trusting you to put themselves in a completely flaccid, asleep state, and counting on the fact that you're going to make them better when they wake up. And, and, and you know, they we, have to wake up though. Remember? Yeah, well, yeah. Right? Eric has yeah. to take care. Of, but, but that that oath we took still. I mean, that you know, PhDs don't take that oath, right? They're they're allowed to just be businessmen. As a physician, you really you really can't. I mean, that there there's a lot there's a lot of way better business people in medicine than me. Uh, um, but I don't, there's, I don't think there's a lot of people that have worked as hard to hone their surgical skills and the decision-making as I try to make it patient-specific when I take care of people. Do you feel like that uh, stem cell nomenclature will change more towards the exosomal? Yeah, so here's what we're trying to do. Right? Okay. Because I think that it's important to set the good products apart from the bad products. Right. I, I always use the analogy that you would never pay Kobe beef prices for hamburger, but people are right in stem cells because you don't know if it's Kobe beef or hamburger. But the way to tell is we need to start talking about what's in it or what's produced by it, which is exosomes. The reason a stem cell works or the way a stem cell works is exosomal secretion, growth factors. So we talk about growth factor secretions and quantifying. How much growth factors is in this? How much growth factors is secreted by this? That's the difference between bone marrow and PRP, right? PRP is one-time shot growth factors. Bone marrow is an injection of cells, one-time shot of growth factors, but those cells continue to produce growth factors for 16 to 20 weeks. Lots of PRP shots if you give a bone marrow injection, not one, because those cells stay metabolically active. With amniotic tissue added to it, so as a tissue graph, 
Now we have day one cells. So if I use your bone marrow, your bone marrow has seen UV light, radiation, everything you've ever done, all your stress is, has had an effect on your quality of your bone marrow. Amniotic tissue hasn't seen any of that. It's day one tissue. Now it's stupid, but it's really strong. It produces a lot of stuff, but I don't know what to do with it. Your bone marrow is the director of the play. It can be, you know, a movie in a warehouse with five guys that everyone dies, or it can be Lawrence of Arabia, you know, 100,000 people in the cast. The larger the cast of characters, the more that's possible. And that's what Amnion does. It gives you all the growth. The analogy I use all the time is if, if you're moving, you want a guy like me stacking the truck because I'll turn the sofa upside down. I'll put the t- table on the floor. I'll get, I'll get everything in one truck. But I want a bunch of 17-year-olds helping me get all the furniture out of the house. But if they stack the truck, you'll make five trips, right? Bone marrow stacks the truck. Amnion delivers you a real high concentration of growth factors so and exosomes. Okay. You actually lost me there for a second. So are, are you saying that the amniotic origin of these cells is the superior one or the bone In arrow? growth factor number only, right? So when it comes down to just pure amount of exosomes right at the beginning, your bone marrow is kind of limited sometimes. If you're 70, right? If you had radiation therapy, if you smoked ever, um, if you drink a lot, you know, so your cells... You I like how you looked at Eric when you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did get me involved in 512 like 10 years ago, so he may be responsible for my lime affinity. Uh, I tell people all the time I don't drink. I'm just addicted to lime. So. The, uh, um, but, but all that has an effect, right? Age has an effect. So you do not have as many cells as you were born with. So do you guys mix the two is what I'm getting at? Well, like, now, that would they, be the, 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 the FDA would hate the wording on that. I will inject the two in the same location, uh. right? So I'll use your bone marrow to get all the initiation and the healing started because it's the smart cell, and it's the stem cell, right? If we're doing a stem cell injection, it's bone marrow. If I'm using amnion, I don't talk about it as a stem cell injection. It's growth factors. It's an amniotic tissue graft because that's the way the FDA says it has to be worded. I'm injecting an amniotic tissue graft into an injury now. We've used amniotic tissue since 1910. So the year Marconi invented the radio was the year the first amniotic tissue was paper published in medicine for burns and corneas. But it was dead, right? But it helped burn heal and it helped corneas heal. Now, we don't have to kill the amnion. We can sterilize it. This is where genetic testing has come in so cool because now you do a genetic swab of the mom, the baby, the membrane. We know that that graft doesn't have the gene for cancer someday, let alone any disease now, right? So genetic testing made it where I can take this graft, not have to irradiate it, not have to kill it. I can freeze it down to minus 80. I can make sure it's sterile. We can wait for the cultures to get back. The way to test contamination of graft is um, endotoxins, right? So sterile water has 0.050 endotoxins or 0.054. That's qualified as sterile. Our graph has 0.050, so it's more sterile than sterile water. But it's live, healthy tissue that your body cannot have an allergic reaction to. Amnion is completely immune-privileged. It's what protects mommy and baby from each other, mm-hmm. right? And it's really good at that. But it also secretes all the growth factors necessary to help you become a baby. Now, we don't want baby. I don't need anything fetal. I need maternal. So the amniotic membrane, the placenta, is maternal tissue. Everything that comes out of mommy after the baby, those are the cells I need to help you heal. 
because I don't want you to turn into. I mean, there's some studies out there where they took maternal uh, fetal stem cells, inject them in the back, and guys grew teeth out of it. Right, a teratoma. Well, you're never going to get tumor formation from. So Mel Gibson wasn't tissue. that far off about growing a mouth out of the side of your face. Hey, man. Well, that. Mel Gibson's a big fan, right? So we. Yeah. I mean, Mel went on Joe Rogan and told him I cured his back. You know, I mean, he we. So I'm not speaking out of turn to say that uh, when he went on Rogan and said, you know, we cured his back in South Lake that, you know, we must have done something pretty. I mean, he had three level. I mean, he had, he had significant issues. All right. So now this is a perfect time to sit there and get into why in the world are we not doing this yes, everywhere? FDA has been an issue, right? Well, yeah. And it's the FDA is a huge issue because of the way the drug company FDA paradigm works. Um we're the only country where you spend five million dollars to get a job that makes sixty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Where does that five million come from, right? Um, in two thousand eight, I don't know what happened two thousand eight, but in two thousand eight, something politically happened where the FDA was less than twenty percent of the size it is today, and it didn't really govern tissue graph. Fat, taking stromal vascular fraction, digesting it, culturing it, wasn't a big deal before then. Those were, we could get the stem cells and they weren't, they're not the best stem cell in the world and Bomer wasn't even really regulated. So it wasn't the best stem cell in the world, but it was readily available. We knew how to get it and digesting it wasn't against the law. And now digesting of the tissue is qualified as more than minimally manipulative to the cell and it's against the law and we can't culture it. We can't expand the fat as a, as a subset by itself isn't a great graft unless you grow it. Sure. If you get a lot more cells, it can be viable, but it's not good just with the I mean it doesn't do much it's pretty inert so where's the where's the future going to go with the FDA and the recognition well of the we have advances? to politically change the environment right we have to make it where every congressman and senator isn't put in place by a drug company um is that what's holding you back I mean because I think what's holding you know what when we had um who's our guest that we that talked about policy oh uh, joy joy when we had joy on it's a lot of misinformation basically it's old archaic laws that carried over that still listed hemp as this schedule one in Boy, this case is it to, misinformation man, I, would, it? I would love to think that but i will tell you that when um when 90 percent of google's ad revenue comes from viagra and cialis and uh, statins and humira Next that destroys your immune system um if you if we publish a paper and you don't know where to put the comma you're not finding it and it's not an artificial moving us down the ladder. I mean, I I have to feel like that, you know, when a drug company puts something out, it's way at the top of the food chain, even if you do a stem cell product. Same way with uh, hemp and CBD. If they make it a drug, it's going to, you know, it'll it'll get through it really quick. If If it's homeopathic or you can grow it in your backyard, all of a sudden it's a class one drug. The U.S. government used to pay people to grow hemp. I mean, there's an old commercials, Rope Wins Wars. The federal government during the World War was paying farmers to stop growing corn and soy and grow hemp because we needed ropes. Right. Ropes win wars, right? And you know, somehow with prohibition, we got tied into that. And then when they repealed it, it didn't get repealed. Right. But it just got bundled in with alcohol during prohibition. That's what happened. But the legalities of it, the regulatory part of it, is because that's about when drug companies started to get popular. Medical school was started by the Rothschilds who, oh, by the way, owned the first drug company. So they had to teach guys how to write their drug. 
So, I mean, you know, it's not a conspiracy, but. Well, well, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about somebody, if somebody's listening to this and they're in a wheelchair with MS. Yeah. Looking at a drug that's costing 10000 a month. Right. That's more. more. Really- the average cost of an MS patient in the U.S. is $290,000 a year. Neil's treated MS in Panama for a decade and and has complete resolution of a lot of patients. I mean, if you go to patients for ethical use of stem cells, if you go to a lot of the support groups out there on the internet for MS and for stem cell use, those are all patients that Neil's treated. And what's patients so cool, that we've treated at the clinic. Right? What's so cool is when things like this open up and it allows people, like the article that I brought up where they were culturing these stem cells in CBD and in polyphenols, then the science can start expanding on itself. Yeah. Then we can start looking at this. And yeah. I, I get depressed a little bit because the science is so already out there. I mean, it's so hard to find a clinical study on the use of bone aspirate concentrate in any part of the body that's not already written. The book, The O-Shot by, Charles, by Dr. Runnels, was just using PRP. That was published a decade ago. Hair growth with PRP, decade ago. The vampire facelift with PRP, decade ago. Now, with bone aspirate concentrate and amion, you can always – you know, it ups the ante part quite a bit. ED, we were talking a minute ago. Erectile dysfunction in 2009, a paper was published in 12 out of 12 males, 70 years old, that didn't respond to orals. Status post-prostatectomy. Bone marrow, 60 cc's, condensed down to six, three cc's in each side of the corpus cavernosum. And by the way, that doesn't hurt. It's not some giant painful shot. It's a, like a skin prick. Not, not to be, <laughs> you know, you can say you're a skin prick, but you can't, never mind. Um, <laughs> so we're talking a fairly, pain, fairly painless injection. Uh, 10 out of those 12 males at two years were still having spontaneous erections. Now, so that was the cure for ED in status post-prostatectomy males without drugs in a one-time treatment with two-year follow-up with zero side effects, and that was 70-year-old bone marrow post-radiation, wow. so not the best cells ever, right? Yeah, but let's clarify. There's a little and that bit, was published in the Journal of Urology. I don't want, I don't want, I, I could just see some, I got some pretty tough patients. I could just see some guy yeah. trying to pound his femur going, yeah. I need this bone marrow. Yeah, no. so that's, it works a little more complicated than that. <laughs> so you need, to, you need to go to somebody you can trust too because you had mentioned also in the past, and I've even heard from people who said, well, I've had stem cells injected, and and then I would didn't say, well, yeah, it didn't work, it didn't and work. it turns out that they had used local. Yeah, expand. Well, on okay, that. so yeah, this is my this is another pet peeve, right? And I have, unfortunately, I guess I have a lot a growing a growing fortitude and growing fortress of of, of pet peeves, and you can watch it all day if you watch stem cell injection on the internet. Go to YouTube. the The toxic dose of local anesthetic, epinephrine, or cortical steroids. All corticosteroids, triamcinolone, dexamethasone, kenalog, bupivacaine, marcaine, lidocaine, epi. The amount that's safe on a stem cell injection is zero. So, What does it do to the stem cells? It lysis them. It destroys the cell wall. So wow. that you destroy them on contact, right? So, so in culture, none of these cells make it through the first hour if you add a drop of lidocaine to your culture platter, right? So when you see someone get a stem cell injection, quote unquote, and they, and they add lidocaine, local anesthetic, or any steroid in the knee, you killed everything. So you turned what could have been a stem cell injection into some growth factors. I mean, you don't, you don't unravel all the proteins with that injection, but you destroy all the cell walls. So wow. you're no longer getting a stem cell injection. It's just growth factor with no differentiated cells, right? right? Okay. Yeah. So it may make you a little bit better, 
but it's not going to grow tissue. You're not going to grow cartilage from that. Sure. Because there's no cells. You weren't given a stem cell injection. You were given a stem cell injection right up until you put local anesthetic or steroid around it, and it kills everything. Do you see the future of this as being a mix between the amniotic and the pers- and the patient's own bone marrow? I think the the well, that's what's legal, right? So so right now that that's all we have, and that's what's legal in the states. Um, and we do, and we would never culture bone marrow because you can you can grow tumors if you get about five cell passes with bone marrow aspirate concentrate. You will sell your expansion. You can get some some mutagenic component of that uh, that you don't get with postnatal tissue. By the way, as you culturally expand postnatal tissue, you don't have the mutagenic potential or, or, or meaning to form a tumor or cancer that you do with with uh, bone marrow aspirate concentrate. Um, but no, I think that the future would be um, a graft created from the umbilical tube that also has the stromal tissue uh there's a cell there's a cell uh stem cell now that when we were in medical school wasn't a stem cell it was an undifferentiated mononuclear endothelial cell it's in every capillary bed it's actually the most numerous stem cell in the humor in the human body it's in every capillary bed you have and that cell is called a pericyte and a pericyte wasn't a pericyte five years ago a pericyte is a stem cell, and that's a cell that is the first cell to see a wound. It's the first cell to drive growth factors in. It's the first cell to cause a hemopoietic or a CD34 cell to come into the, the wound. The pericyte, if we could turn a graft from umbilical tissue that involved that cell, that we could culturally expand. I'm sorry, if you can make a graft from umbilical tissue and that tissue? Yeah. So the, the umbilical, the amnion's the lining of the umbilical cord. It's the outer, it's a covering. The stromal tissue, the umbilical cord, has three vessels in it. The, what's being done right now in most places in the world is from Wharton's jelly. It's the jelly around those three vessels. That's where so there's some stem cells. But they're not the best. There's, so people talk about cord blood. There's no, there's no stem cells or cord blood. Cord blood is undifferentiated blood. It's good. There's no stem cells. The stem cells are in the stromal tissue, the perivascular tissue, the lining, the collagen fibers. That's where those stem cells are trapped. So this is where a lot of confusion comes in, because I even had a friend that actually I think he uh, interviewed, and the, you know the question was brought up, and there's so much confusion with it yeah. that everybody thinks it's cord blood that's going yeah. on, and it's not. Yeah, there's no cord blood. Look, uh, I have cord blood stored from all three of my daughters. I have a, uh, <laughs> and let's tell you about my life when I said I was a mess. I have a 22 year old, a 17 year old, a six year old. So I have all their cord blood. And in 2008, the U.S. government decided they own it. So I still pay the storage fees on it, but I'm not allowed access to it unless they are treated. And if my kids have an FDA-approved diagnosis for the use of cultured and expanded cord blood, they'll give some of that to me and let me treat the kid. So if there's three different types of leukemia right now that are completely curable, if you have cord blood stored in your kid, your kid or first-degree sibling gets one of those types of leukemia, it's 100% curable from the cord blood you have stored. And that's all the FDA will allow you to treat. But if you have osteoarthritis, daddy gets osteoarthritis in his knee. If I could take some of the cord blood, culture the tissue, create the cells that are in it and to make them where they would matter from the umbilical tissue, I could just use that and treat your knee. That'd be awesome. But it's illegal. Wow. That is a lot. And depressing. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'm literally thinking of people with heart failure, people, you know, with, um, let me ask you. The heart failure study, they actually took those cells and they were squirting them in the pericardium. This is a different study, but in mice, they were squirting the pericardium in the mice to cure heart failure and it worked. 
but they couldn't when they when they killed the mice. There was none of those cells within the heart. So they, how did it cure the heart failure? Yeah. So then they gave them intervascular, still cured the heart failure. Then, but they couldn't get the cells in the heart. Then he took, injected them in the calf of the mice where they couldn't move and still cured the heart failure. Quick question. Does it help the brain? Alzheimer's? 30 seconds. De- degeneration? Uh, sure. And, and, and <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think there would be a really good way. The problem is getting those cells past the blood-brain barrier. And the only way to do that would be as a nasal spray of growth factors on the cribriform plate with you laying down to treat like a post-concussion syndrome. That may or may not have been done with significant success, but it's not going to be allowed in the U.S. for quite some time. Wade, come back. Check out stem Holy cell expert, child. Dr. Wade McKinnon.com. A lot of material. Everyone needs to know this. This is the only 24-hour, take-anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie.